hey, if we can have just a family moment. Um, Christmas, and uh, there are always people within the body of Christ here at Grace Chapel who are struggling a little bit to um, do some extras around Christmas time. And there's always people within the body who have a little extra and they would like to give. And so um, if you would like to give to a family within the church who is struggling this Christmas to maybe buy a few extra gifts for their children, and um, you know, it's an expensive time of year. It's sad, but it's true. Uh, and uh, these are not folks who are, you know, just always hit the hand out. These are, these are folks within the body of Christ that we, we actually, many of them just come to and say, hey, is there, is there some need this Christmas? And they say, well, yeah, there is. Um, so if you would like to give um, a little bit extra this, this Christmas season to the elders fund, that's where the money goes, and that's where we, uh, we give to those um, within the body. If you'd like to give to that fund, you certainly can. Something else that's really cool, as, the, as our church, as Grace Chapel, 2013 has been one of our best years ever. Um, and we had so much, uh, yeah, you can absolutely clap. Yeah, no, I'm there too. God has been doing so many incredible things, and uh, this coming year, especially throughout the 2014, we're going to be uh, sharing those things again, how the camp is doing, how all the things that God is, the way God has moved in 2013, one of the things that he has done is allowed us to do so much renovation on this campus, and it looks so much better. And the elders had a meeting yesterday and thought, you know, we need to keep moving forward. And some of the things that we've always wanted to do here, um, number one, pave the parking lot. Um, and that's what we want to do that this spring, is get that parking lot paved. We want to fix up the 5th uh, Street side of the, the, the campus here with some landscaping and the side of the building. We want to fix up the buildings, all of them as best we can on the outside, and then have a designer design and repaint this entire campus. Because we just kind of get lost as people drive by. We have so many exciting, dynamic things happening within our church. And sometimes people around the country know more about Grace Chapel than the people right in our own neighborhood because of the unique things that we're doing. But we, wanna, we want this place to pop. So we're going to repaint the entire facility. We're, gonna, we're going to um, pave the, the parking lot. We're going to get new carpet in here. We're going to redo all the, ba- the two bathrooms here. We're just going to do some upgrades um, that the, the, our, our facility needs. And so I want to encourage you, okay, during this season, um, with, uh, with uh, the, the tax time coming to an end, you get certain, you know, giving at the end of the year, please remember... Grace Chapel and your time of giving, okay, as you're laying out how, what you're going to give, how you're going to give, please remember the church because um, if we do well in December and we go over budget in December, we can use those resources to begin the projects now. And I'm really excited because I know you are to see all the landscaping, all the things that we've done inside the building over here, the Grace Impact Center. We want that to continue. So this campus just continues to be upgraded and look phenomenal. That's what we want. We want a beautiful campus. And we're getting there. We're almost there. But every time we fix something, something else still sticks out a little bit. But we're working on all those things. So I'm excited. And I really, 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 really want to thank you for all that you have done in 2013. Because it has been a phenomenal year for the church in so many different ways. All right. After last week, spoke to me. After, after last week, I thought, man, I, I, I should just lighten it up a little bit. You know, last week was was one of those times where there's a lot of uh, tears and God was truly moving. And I appreciate the response uh, this week and emails and things like that. And I want to encourage you, though, if you made some commitments last week, follow through with those commitments, okay? Allow God to work in your heart and follow through with those commitments. But I thought, man, this week when I preach, I'm going I'm to be a little lighter. And I thought, well, it's Christmas. Why not talk about joy? 
And I got to tell you, I really tried to make it lighter, but God just has other plans. Because as I was studying, and I was studying this whole topic of joy, the Holy Spirit started moving and said, you want to talk about joy? Let me teach you, okay? Let me remind you what joy is truly all about, okay? What, what joy is in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. So let me start with this story. In the late 1860s, life was going well for Horatio G. Spafford and his wife, Anna. They lived in Chicago with their five children, and then tragedy struck. Their four-year-old son, Horatio Jr., died of scarlet fever. In 1871, they faced another disaster, the Great Chicago Fire. The Spaffords lost most of their uh, real estate holdings, and so that was where most of their wealth was. So they lost a lot of their wealth. But then, through it all, they truly kept their faith. They had their home, they had their four children, and God was good. In 1873, Horatio and his family planned a trip to Europe. At the last minute, an urgent business matter arose, and he wasn't able to leave. Not wanting to disappoint the rest of his family, he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead of him, and he said he would catch up soon. In early morning, the early morning of November 22nd, 1873, their ship collided with an iron sailing ship. Anna survived, but their four daughters died. When Anna arrived in Cardiff, Wales, she telegraphed her husband, saved alone, what shall I do? As soon as he received Anna's telegram, Horatio left Chicago to bring his wife home. As they sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. The captain told him that they were now passing the place where the ship went down and where he lost his four daughters. That night, Spafford penned these words from his famous hymn, It is well with my soul. His faith and his joy never faltered. The Spaffords then returned to Chicago to begin their lives again. God gave them three more children, two daughters and another son. They named their second son Horatio, not for their father, but for their lost son. Tragically, like his brother, when he reached the age of four, he died of scarlet fever. After the loss of little Horatio, the Spaffords decided to leave their home in America and settle in Jerusalem. What's amazing about that as well is if you study the story, and I've, I've read it over so many different times, and the nuances, they moved to Jerusalem to go and feed the poor and the needy in Jerusalem and clothe those people. Even after all they've been through, their faith in God, they, in, they go and invest in the lives of others. In September of 1881, the Spaffords left America for Israel. In, in 1876, P.P. Bliss put music to Spafford's words. This hymn is sung still today. It is well with my soul was, the fir was first sung in public by Bliss on November 24th, 1876, before an assembly of ministers hosted by Dwight L. Moody in Chicago at Farewell Hall. With that, my friends, as the backdrop, I really want you to pay attention to the words. If you'd stand with me. With that as a backdrop, let's sing, It is well with my soul. We sing every Sunday morning but I'm not sure we always, yes, you can be seated. We, I'm not sure we always comprehend what we're singing. I, I stand back there sometimes and, and, and greet people and, and, and hug folks coming in as we're singing and I'm listening to the words, I'm singing along and I think, do, do we truly understand the words? Do we truly comprehend? Do we, do we 
do we apply those words to our lives? Do we own the words? I mean, think about that song. It's what makes some of the, the old hymns so amazing because who they were written by. I mean, I'm not, I thought about that I was, as I was studying last night and, and I, was, I was thinking about Horatio Spafford and, and the loss of four of his daughters and two of his sons and I was looking over at Josh and thinking to myself, my gosh, I don't think I can bear the loss of just one child and how God intervenes in our lives and does miraculous things and gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And, and men, men, like, men like Horatio write songs like that. Their faith is incredible. And so I ask myself as, as we're going through this study, is it truly possible to have inward joy even when the things that are going on around us from an outward perspective aren't going so well? Is it, is it possible to have true inward joy in our lives when our external circumstances are going poorly, when we're struggling? I could see writing that song Honestly, in 2013, man, if you're, in a, if you're just, you, you just hit it big and your company is doing phenomenal and it is well with my soul and, or, or you're in a church and it's just booming and God is good and you're just rolling right along, it is well with my soul. But not on a ship when you're passing by the place where you lost four of your daughters. That, my friends, is a faith that is beyond what most people can even imagine, but a faith that the word of God, the Bible says it's possible for us to have that kind of faith. The Bible says it's possible for us to have that inward joy when our outward circumstances cause us to struggle. But only if we have a real deep and abiding faith in Jesus Christ, only if we're living our lives for Jesus Christ and not focusing our attention on the, uh, on the challenges, the challenging circumstances, hoping that they'll get better. If, if our focus during those times is on those challenging circumstances and saying to ourselves, well, I will have joy again, I will have peace again, I will have contentment again, I'll be happy again, when my circumstances change. That's not what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us that we can have that kind of joy, that kind of peace, that kind of contentment within and during our struggles. So you, you have to ask the question, what is joy? Well, here's, here's how I define joy. Joy is an inner state of contentment an inner state of true and deep contentment and satisfaction that is not dependent on my circumstances. An inward, inward state of contentment and satisfaction that is not dependent on my circumstances. Can you imagine, honestly? I mean, we, you, know, you preach sermons, you have, you're in Bible studies, and you read books and everything, and you read things like that, and just read on past and say, oh, that's really cool. Can you imagine if we lived our lives that way. If we, grow, we grew to the point of spiritual maturity where our external circumstances did not have a profound effect on our joy, our peace, and our contentment. That's what the Bible says that we can have. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, we read this. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. 
This day is holy to the Lord. Listen to what he says now. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Think about living the way I just described, where those, again, those external circumstances could not or did not have the profound effect that it has on our lives right now. Imagine the strength that we would have. Imagine the life, the life that we could live. Imagine the impact that we could have on those around us. That is a sermon unto itself, and we'll preach, I'll preach it someday. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I do not think we completely understand that we comprehend the power of real biblical joy, the power, the strength that it could provide for our lives if we could have that true biblical joy. So the question is, how can each of us, everyone sitting here, how can I, how can you have that lasting joy? Four ways that we can, we can have lasting joy in our lives. Number one, we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to have that deep, abiding, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I am not talking about a religious experience. Religious exp- being religious, if you will, is not going to get you that kind of joy, that kind of peace, that kind of contentment. It's not, it, it doesn't. I, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the transformational power from, that comes from Christ and that comes from the inside out a transformation that that affects our lives in such a profound way, a relationship with Jesus that, listen, transcends the the day-to-day ups and downs of this world. The power that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ that overcomes, that overwhelms, that transcends the ups and downs of the lives that we live every single day because we go through them. I mean, how often are you feeling so good then you get a phone call? How often are you feeling so good about this and then someone says something or someone does something and it disrupts your, all, all of your life? You've been robbed of your peace. Your contentment's been taken away. You're no longer feeling happy. You see, when we live our lives for Jesus Christ, when we focus our hearts and our minds on him, that is the kind of life that we can live, a life of joy that is not dependent on our external circumstances. Paul puts it best in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about those words, to live is Christ. I'm gonna live my life for Jesus Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And you know, you think about that in your own life and the, the circumstances we face and the people who rob us, try to rob us of our joy. Paul would say, what can you, O oh man, do to me? You see, when, when we come to Christ, it should do the same thing it did for Paul. It should alter our way of thinking. It should alter our way of thinking. It should alter our worldview. It, it should alter the way, the, the way we think of in our life what matters because right now we get caught up in things that don't matter. They rob us of all the joy, the peace and contentment of our lives because we're caught up in things that don't matter at all, really. They're, they're kind of significant in life, but they don't have any ter- eternal significance that our minds should be changed. We should go. We should no longer have a temporal perspective. We should have an eternal perspective. Everything that we do, the experience that we have should fall under an eternal perspective, a broader range. We should see it through God's eyes, not just human eyes, not worldly eyes, but through God's eyes from his eternal lens. So often believers 
say, well, I, I'm gonna have Jesus come in my heart. And so often believers want Jesus to fit into their lives. You see, they're, they're, that's just not right. That's not, that's not the way it works, my friends. When you know Jesus Christ, he doesn't fit into your life. He is your life. He is your life. You don't fit. You don't pull Jesus off the shelf and, you know, dust him off when you need him kind of thing and bring him into your life. He's not a part of your life. He is your life. That's the difference. That's what Spafford had. That's what Paul had. They understood. They had an eternal perspective. Did they feel the pain and the loss? You bet they did. Can you imagine his wife saved alone? What shall I do? Can you imagine what she was going through at that point? But then to, to, to serve for the rest of her life, even after that, the loss of another child, then to go to Jerusalem and serve the Lord, invest in the Lord. Eric Little, man, you, know the, you know the chariots of fire. He died in a concentration camp. He died. He gave his life for Jesus Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. There is such a difference in being religious and, and having some sort of religious, religion in your life and having a relationship with the living God. Number two, we need to develop Christ-centered relationships. Our relationships cannot be shallow. They, they, they cannot be shallow. They need to be deep. They, mean to be, they need to be meaningful because as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, of, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to depend on each other. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says this, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. When we develop a personal relationship with Christ and we enter into Christ-centered relationships with each other, listen, it, it, it keeps us eternally focused spiritually sharp and emotionally strong. We need each other to strengthen each other. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other. We need to, we strengthen each other. We encourage each other. We help each other get through the ups and downs and struggles of life. We remind each other of what I'm talking about this morning. When you go through something, sometimes it's hard for you to see what God would have you do because your emotions are pulled and, your, and your, your feelings are so raw. And then the other believers come around and with, not with callousness, but they remind you of the truth of who God is in your life. And you're able to see it. And you're able to refocus and draw your strength sometimes from their faith as well. Have you ever been in a challenging situation in your life? Maybe you faced a tragedy of some kind, some trauma in your life. Maybe it was just a really difficult decision that you had to make. If you've been in that situation, you know that having someone by your side can make all the difference. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on, like I said, toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. We need to be together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need one another. If we're gonna have true lasting joy in our lives, we need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and we need, we need Christ-centered relationships with one another. Number three, we need to live for God's purpose and not our own. 
You and I need to live for God's purpose, not our own. And I will send you the quotes that I'm gonna use here, but I really want everyone to, if, if you faded even for a moment, come on back, okay? Because you're not, this is important. This part is so important. This is, this is transformational. This is, this is one of those, those times where your thought process maybe is turned completely around, okay? We need to live for, for God's purpose, not our own. Everyone wants to know what God's will and purpose is for their lives. And we as believers, we as people, micromanage our lives sometimes. We manage every detail and we have, we have specific expectations and goals. And when those specific expectations and goals are not met, we have a tendency, if you will, to, to, to have our joy just lost. We lose our joy. If God doesn't meet those expectations and goals, we lose our joy. We lose our happiness. We lose our contentment. We lose our peace. But we have to remember the definition of joy. Joy is an inner state of contentment and satisfaction that is not dependent on my circumstances. So I, I talked about having specific expectations and goals and somehow you don't think God has met your expectations and goals and so you lose because you had those external circumstances didn't work out the way you wanted them to. And that's controlling what's going on inside your life. The worry, the stress, the grief, the frustration, the anger. That's what's happening. But joy is not controlled by our external experiences, but by something that Christ is doing in our hearts. See, I think we sometimes confuse the definition of joy and happiness. We want God to make us happy in the here and now. And when God does not meet those desires, our joy is just easily stolen. When God does not come up and, and do or, or give us what we want, what we thought we should have, the plans that we laid out, when that doesn't happen, our joy is stolen by the enemy, easily stolen by the enemy because it's coming from the external and not the internal. Here's the deal. God does have a plan and purpose for your life, but here's why I want you to listen. He does have a plan and purpose for your life, but it's not always what you think. And this is why all of us get so frustrated sometimes. I've been reading Oswald Chambers, and he, Oswald Chambers wrote this. Listen to the words. We tend to think that if Jesus Christ compels us to do something and we are obedient to him, he will lead us to great success. We should never have the thought that our dreams of success are God's purpose for us. In fact, his purpose may be exactly the opposite. We have the idea that God is leading us toward a particular end or a desired goal, but he's not. The question of whether or not we arrive at a particular goal is of little importance and reaching it becomes merely an episode along the way. Does that not flip-flop everything we're taught in our culture? What we see as only the process of reaching a particular end, God sees as the goal itself. You see, God's will for our lives is to be obedient to him through the small, the process, through the day-to-day -day process, through the moment-to-moment -moment processes. His will is to be, that we should be obedient to him regardless of the outcome, regardless of what happens. Oswald Chambers goes on, listen to this, God's purpose is to enable me to see that he can walk on the storms of my life right now. 
If we have further goals in mind, we are not paying enough attention to the present time. However, if we realize that moment by moment obedience is the goal, then each moment as it comes is precious, profound, and true. If you, I know it's hard to kind of grasp and remember. If you want those quotes, email me, I'll email them to you. Stick them up, put them on your desk, do whatever you need to do, but remember those things. It will transform the way you think. It will transform the way you react to certain things. It will transform the way you think about life in general and what's important and what's not important. For God, it's all important. The process through the trial, the process through the difficulty is where God shows himself. We think if I go through this and I just manage through this mess and just survive it and don't, don't turn on Jesus or fall away or something, that he's gonna give me this wonderful and fantastic end to the whole thing. It's, I'm, gonna show, I'm gonna have success and happiness and wealth and joy and all. It's all gonna... What matters is how we live each moment of our lives. Sometimes the end result is not the important thing, but is the moment-by-moment obedience, as Oswald Chambers says. The moment-by-moment obedience, that is the goal. And then each moment when we live that way becomes precious. Number four, we need to look forward to going home. In John chapter 16 and verse 22, it says, so with you, now is your time of grief but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. This world, my friends, is not our home. It's not. We are just, as believers in Jesus Christ, our home is in heaven. Should you live your life here on earth with passion? Yeah, you should. Should you try to fulfill all that God has for you? Yes. Do you use your gifts, your talents, your abilities? Yes. Uh, You know, if it's not not sinful, it's sacred. Use them, I'm telling you. Yes, all yes to all those things, but this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We are just passing through. That's why we get so confused sometimes as Christians and so angry when we read stories like Spafford's story, like I read in the very beginning. We get angry about it. Our first reaction is, how could God, why would God, if God is so loving, then how could he? And we we say those kinds of things because we don't have an eternal perspective. We say those kinds of things, my friends, because we don't acknowledge that we live in a fallen world. We are in a fallen world. We are in a foreign land. We are not at home. We are not home yet. We are in a foreign land, a fallen world, and we don't acknowledge that. And worse than that, we have made this place our home. We have put down roots and we've made this place our home so that when God gives, we're like, yay, God is good. And when God taketh away, God was God. There was a God. Why would God? How could God? God take for this? Very few Christians today can relate to this kind of faith. Very few Christians today can do it. You see, there's a joy. There's an inner peace in knowing that I have an eternal destiny, that this place that we live in now is not the end that there's something waiting for us that is beyond what we can possibly imagine. The rest of the world 
Those who suffer so badly in many parts of the world understand this so much better than we do because honestly, as Americans, we live in Shangri-La compared to what everyone else has ever lived in in the history of this planet. And so sometimes we miss this. We miss this because we are pretty comfortable. We do have so many things and our expectations get risen. If we don't get, if we don't, all of a sudden we're frustrated. That's not like many other people in the world. They hold on to this. They know this world is not their home. They look forward to going home. We need to live our lives with passion while we're here, but we need to look forward to going home as well. The great thing about thinking about the future is that wrongs will be made right. Evil will be no more. Suffering, disease, all the things that we deal with now, the heartbreak, the emotional losses will be no more. And the faithful, though they're not sometimes rewarded from a world's perspective here on earth, the faithful will be rewarded. In Hebrews chapter 13, 14 through 16, I want you to listen to these words. It reminds us, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Let us offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. I asked Jen to come and close out our service this morning and share with you her testimony, her sacrifice of praise. that our family has just been going through and um, we've just kind of been working through as a family but the Lord just kind of started prompting me to to share this um, and I think he's going to use it so I I'm excited and I'm trying to be obedient so you pray for me as I share this but um, my heart belongs to my Lord and many years ago well not many I'm not that old but many <laughs> few years ago, it taught me what it meant to trust, um, to lean into his sovereignty and to find peace. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the work that he's done in my life to get me to the place where I am right now as a woman, as a wife, and as a mom. Um, when I was about 19 weeks pregnant with this one, which is about three months ago now, uh, we went in for an ultrasound and we were very excited to see this little baby um, see how it was growing, and I know that it, ultrasounds, you know, they're just a black and white blurry little mishmash of hands and feet and body parts and things, but it was our little mishmash, so we were very excited, and it was very cute, um, and having had two kids already, we have a three and a two-year-old, um, and been through this, I noticed that the ultrasound tech was taking a lot longer than what I thought was normal, and spending time on specific parts of the body, and um, but I just tried not to read too much into it and thought maybe since we switched doctors, this is how they do it over here. Um, we left with some very sweet little pictures and our hearts just full of joy and excitement over this beautiful little life that was going to join our family in a few months. And um, she told us that the doctor would call us tomorrow, go over the ultrasound, which was totally typical and normal. 
Um, but then my phone rang like 45 minutes later. Um, and I answered, and the doctor first started telling me that there was an issue with the way the baby was being carried and the position of things for delivering. So I started to worry about that. Um, but then she paused, um, and she started telling me that they found something wrong with the baby also. Uh, that they found um, some physical indications of a, a lifelong incurable diagnosis. Um, and she used a lot of big words and gave us a lot of options and um, asked if I had any questions. And of course, I was just overwhelmed and my heart just kind of sank very deep inside of me and I couldn't really think of what to say or how to act or how to respond even to her. And I'm not really sure I remember how the conversation even ended. But um, my husband, Drew, and I, we just kind of sat there on the couch after we found that out, and he just basically held me for hours as we processed this, and I just kept feeling this sense of loss, and not because of what we found out about the baby, but because I, I lost the joy and the, the excitement that I felt that earlier in that day that just overwhelmed me, and I wasn't sure I was going to get that back for the rest of the pregnancy. And um, I felt so unprepared and really defeated and just really brokenhearted of the idea of something already putting limits on this beautiful little life that we had created. And my parents came over after we found out the news and um, just kind of spoke truth into our lives and into our hearts and scripture that sometimes life will be absolutely more than you can handle. But don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And when you find that you're going down the path where all you can see are the stress and the worries and the possible situations and the bad things that are, could be happening, take your thoughts captive and give them over to the Lord and just let him remind you who he is and who he has proven himself to be over and over again. He is with you. He is willing to help. He is a, able to protect a father, a friend, aware of your struggle, a good listener, uh, the one who loves you. He's looking right at you. He is the power to change and to heal. He's there when no one else is. He's all-knowing. He's powerful. He's here right now, and he's present in the midst of every situation. And my two-year-old daughter, Lorelai, she's having surgery on her eyes uh, next week to help pull the muscles of her eyes back into alignment. She has something called exotropia, which just means that her eyes don't really see the same thing, so her brain gets confused and just starts turning off her vision one eye at a time. So she's having surgery done to pull those back. And through that, this whole journey with her vision, um, I learned very quickly how important it is to give your children's lives over to the Lord. But the very difficult thing with this situation that was different was that I haven't really held this baby in my arms yet physically. So the idea of giving this baby's life over to the Lord and putting this life in his arms and submitting to his will was very difficult for me, and it still is. <laughs> and Obviously, I'm a mom, so first and foremost, it's my one job in life to protect. And that means that there's no match for me. There's no battle I won't fight to take care of my kids. But this is not a battle with an enemy that I can see or that I can control or that I can predict, which I think is the case with so many battles and so many enemies we come up against. But each time I feel like I'm overwhelmed with the battle, I'm reminded of Exodus 14. In this chapter, the Israelites were fleeing Egypt and Pharaoh in an act of obedience but Pharaoh's army was close behind. So the Israelites, kind of sensing doom, start freaking out. Like, whose stupid idea was this? Not literal translation, just my own translation. And Moses says to them, 
Do not be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do something incredible for you today. And then he says my favorite part, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be still. This world is full of sin, of disease, of hardships, but I have a God who promises to fight for me. I just have to be still. I just have to accept his love and his huge heart for me because he spent the last few months fighting for my heart and fighting for me. And this verse is made even more powerful for me because it's the same intense love that I have for this little one. My heart is crying out to this sweet one. Your mom will fight for you. You just have to be still. You don't have to do anything to earn it. I will take on any hardship, fight any battle, rip apart any lion, looking to devour, and I'll do it because you're my child. And my love has no conditions attached to it. And that's the same thing that he's saying to each one of us. You know, we celebrate Christmas, and it's not just about the birth of Christ. It's about the life of Christ. It's about the death of Christ. We celebrate because it's the beginning of an incredible sacrifice that he made for his kids. He died to save us. We were lost, we were sinking, and he saw what needed to be done to fight for us, and he did it. I just think about that. How can we even begin to repay a love like that? His desire for each one of us is that we just acknowledge his sacrifice, that we turn to him, that we find ourselves in a deep, personal relationship with him, that we let him pour his love onto us and we let him continue to fight for us. Psalm 4610 says to be still and know that I am God. And the command to be still comes from the word rapha, meaning to be weak or to let go or to release, which might be better translated as to cause yourself to let go. Let yourself become weak. In other words, we're called to surrender in order to know that God is in control. We let go in order to know the saving power of God in our lives. We give up trusting in ourselves, in our earthly saviors, in our own designs and plans in order to experience the glory of God's all-sufficiency and his sovereignty. And I'll be the very, 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 very first to say that finding contentment and finding peace through difficulty and through storms is much easier said than done. But if you let him in, if you let yourself be weak in order to see his strength, you will find yourself the subject of an intense kind of love. And the love between a parent and a child, it cannot be explained or rationalized. It's like beyond comprehension. Any parent out there knows this. So being one of God's children can literally be the definition of a peace that passes all understanding. It's the kind of peace that Paul's talking about in Philippians 4, 6. says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. And let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It is wonderful what happens when God displaces worry at the center of your life. Because this has definitely been one of the most difficult times in my life. Um, We won't have any definitive answers or know what's going on or really what we're dealing with until the baby's born and here. And there's always the chance that the baby's going to be perfectly healthy, and we believe that and we have faith in that. But until then, I am full of questions, and I do have worries. But Deuteronomy 11.18 reminds me how I can displace those worries. I love it. It says, place my words on your heart. Get them deep inside you. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Teach them to your children. Talk about them wherever you go. Sitting at home, walking in the street, talk about them from the time you get up in the morning or until you fall in bed at night. And keeping his word at the forefront of my mind and my heart helps because I am human. 
and I will continue to have questions, but in the midst of those questions, I can also have an overwhelming desire to trust God wholly and completely. Through this experience, I felt a little bit like Peter out in the boat with Christ and and watching him stand out on the water. And unlike Peter, who when he saw Jesus questioned, is that really you, Christ? In my heart, I'm saying, well, you're God. Of course you can stand on the water and you can walk out there. That's easy for you. He's reached out to me to join him. He's given us a beautiful child and a new life. But now he's asked me to step out of the boat the one place that I feel safe, the only earthly thing that I have that I feel is keeping me from sinking. So I've been trying to take these slow steps out on the water towards God and towards his embrace, but then the wind starts blowing, the storm starts coming in, and the clouds, and, and my faith can either falter or it can be made stronger. The beautiful thing about God, though, is that if my faith does falter, if I start to lose faith and start to sink, he's right there. And he will grab my hand and he will hold it tight. But as his daughter, my desire would be that my trust would surpass the greatest storm, that my faith would never be so weak that I couldn't go where he called me, whether that's out onto the ocean or into the next doctor's office or just into motherhood again in general. If this is your first experience with God, I just want you to know who you are in Christ. If you've known the Lord for years, I want this to be a reminder that if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have so many reasons to know your worth, to know why you're loved, to know why you're worth fighting for, and to know why you're in this season even right now. You're a child of God, a friend of God, a co-heir with Christ, a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're part of a body. You're a citizen of heaven. You're redeemed, rescued, forgiven, strong, sealed, beloved, blessed, complete. You've been set free from law and sin and made alive with him. You're a new creation, and you were created and called so that his works could be displayed in you. And I love the account from John chapter 9 where the disciples asked Jesus, Who sinned so that this man should be born blind? And he No one sinned. This happened so that the works of God could be displayed in him. Essentially saying, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. But there's no such cause and effect here. Because like we heard earlier, we feel like there should be some cause and effect to our joy and our blessings and our circumstances. That if we're obedient to him, that he will bless us with the end goal. But only God knows my future and my family's future and this baby's future. And this end goal for this might be heartbreaking the first few days after we heard the news I was sitting outside early one morning by myself just spending some time with the Lord and needing some big answers and he just quietly spoke these words to my heart he said this is not the end and it was a reminder that this season is part of my faith journey with him and I can choose to have the same steadfast faith through the most difficult seasons as I do through the ones of blessing. And the truth is, though, that I have to choose obedience every moment of this journey. And it's that moment-by-moment obedience that will allow the the works of God to be displayed in me. And that will allow me to see past the heartache and onto the eternal. We will find our place ourselves in a place of, of heartache, of struggles, and seasons of difficulties over and over and over again, I think. And, and he will definitely continue to call us out of our boats and out onto the water And he will choose to save us every single time if our faith falters. 
but I want to be one of his children and I want us to be a church that sees the wind, that sees the storm and the clouds rolling in. And we choose to stand strong on our faith, knowing that the joy of the Lord that we're seeking is our strength. We're going to sing a song as we close out this morning. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. If you are, I just want to encourage you to sing with me. I might need you. (laughs) I just want each one of us to make this our prayer to the Lord this morning. So would you stand? spend together. Father, we thank you for a body of Christ that is not afraid to face the challenges of everyday life, that rests and abides in you, draws their strength from you, finds their hope in you, can have peace, joy, and contentment, knowing that it's found in you and you alone. Father, there are so many people here this morning who are facing challenging situations, upheavals in their lives unexpected. And Father, we pray that we would come around each other and our relationships would be so strong that the love that we have and the bond that we have with each other would, 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 would be able to strengthen those who are struggling, that we would carry each other that we would love each other, that we would be your hands, your feet, your words of encouragement as we walk with you through the challenges of life. But Lord, let it be impressed upon our hearts that our our joy is not found in, in the circumstances of our lives, but our joy is found in being your children. We love you. We ask that you would walk on the waters with us, that you would hold us and you would carry us when necessary, that we'd have this faith, though, to step out and to be called one of yours. We love you. We praise you. We give you this time together. We offer it up as our, as our sacrifice of praise to you this morning. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a blessed week.